0: Businesses and professions invest a great deal of time and money to define and maintain a signature look. So, for example, if you see a person in a brown shirt, brown shorts, carrying a package, you know they work for UPS, right? And if we're having a medical emergency, we know we can trust the men and women in the white lab coats and the stethoscopes, because obviously they're doctors, right? We don't check their credentials. The stethoscope's all we need. If we watch baseball and we see a bunch of guys in pinstripes, well, love them or hate them, we know we're watching the Yankees. Fouls <laughs> a Bo Sox, fan. Here in Northern Virginia, we are familiar with the distinctive hats of the state police, the uniforms of each of the branches of military service, and those of our local police departments. And the, the point is that when an organization seeks to change its signature look, It has to do it really carefully, because there is so much corporate identity invested in that look. Well, followers of Jesus Christ also have a signature look. And it has nothing to do with our clothes, so you will not see me in brown shorts up here, I don't think. It has nothing to do with our buildings. It was specified to us by Jesus very clearly for all who love him in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And Jesus delivered this command at the Last Supper after he had humbly washed the feet of his disciples, after Judas had left to betray him. And here in quiet moments before his betrayal, his arrest, his crucifixion, Jesus is alone with those who are going to lead his church into the future. And he spends the time making clear to them how to conduct themselves between the time of his departure and that day when they will each join him in heaven. At the heart of all of our Christian activities, there is to be an extraordinary and unique way of behaving that, that tells the world, that really practically shouts to the world, I follow Jesus. And the way it has nothing to do with shouting, I follow Jesus. It's that we are to love one another just as Jesus loved us. Love like this is a critical part of God's vision for Lakeridge Baptist Church. We are called to be a lighthouse, to be shining bright at this intersection of Clipper and Mariner, to be shining the light of Christ uh, across the street and throughout this portion of eastern Prince William County and every corner of the school and the neighborhoods and the institutions that surround us, but we must shine this light in the manner that Christ commands, and that begins with the way that we love one another. Now, our vision is built on three pillars. And The good news is my wife's not here to fill in the blanks. So this is a this is a chance to talk. We're not a big talking church during sermons, and you know, maybe that's good, maybe that's not. But but this is the chance to talk. What are the three pillars that we're that the vision is built on? I heard welcoming in. Good. Our youth always bring it strong. All right, adults. Oh, I heard a building up. Yep. Good. Excellent. Reaching out. All right. Those are indeed the pillars. And today we're going to continue to explore welcoming in. I'm going to keep quizzing you until everyone's just screaming it out. We got a lot more weeks to do this, so um, you know, this is uh, we're encouraging audience participation. So we're going to continue exploring welcoming in. Welcoming in is kind of like a circle and it would have been really smart for me to make a slide like that. I planned to and then I forgot yesterday morning when I was doing the slides. But it's like a circle. It's a circle that begins and ends with the way that we we celebrate our our love for God through corporate worship. But along the way on that circle we also see the way that we we love those who are not yet part of our community of faith, our neighbors, who we're to love as ourselves. We're going to see the the intentional and yet heartfelt love that we are to be showing every newcomer as they first uh, come through the doors in the early weeks of their time with our community. And it also includes the evidence that is demonstrated by our care and by relationships with other Christians that, God willing, will blossom for many years. Now, last week, we provided collector cards to help you remember welcoming in. And they are limited edition, but I do have some extras up front, so after the service if you did not get one or you misplaced yours, please get a copy, but I hope you will post it prominently to remember what these pillars are. You'll get a new one next week, I trust me. I think there's a decent shot that someday this is going to be as valuable as like a 1906 Honus Wagner uh, baseball card, you know, millions of dollars at auction for this, but in the meantime, I want you to look at these and use them. Welcoming In says that we are a living, vibrant community of faith, renowned for our devoted love for God, each other, and for our neighbors. That we each purposely invest in others by building authentic relationships, seizing every opportunity to invite others to be a part of our community, making newcomers feel welcome at home, and caring for each other through action, not word alone. Last week, we looked at how this pillar was founded on the great commandment. We considered two of the initiatives related to loving God through worship and loving our neighbors as ourselves actively and sacrificially. Today, we're looking at the other core of welcoming in, which is Christ's new commandment. And we're going to look at how this drives our ongoing welcoming in of one another. Because welcoming in certainly includes the initial greeting that we offer a newcomer, but it goes much further. It's about how we welcome everyone into this community of faith every time we gather. We will welcome in every day by loving one another. That's the bottom line. We will welcome in every day by loving one another. And we'll do this because we are to live by Christ's new commandment. Go back to the passage. Jesus declared in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now what made this commandment new is not so much its content, which is love, and, and there are already clear commandments related to love in the Bible, and Jesus had already declared the great commandment. What makes it really new is the standard which is Jesus Christ himself. Just as, in the same way, I have loved you, you also are to love one another. See, Jesus had already said to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is hard enough. And while that is still binding, Jesus has essentially raised the standard with this new commandment because instead of just loving one another the way we'd love ourselves... Now we're being called to love one another the way Jesus loves us. Jesus took an already high bar and raised it for those who follow him. Let's consider briefly how Jesus loved those disciples. We could talk about this subject for hours, days, weeks, right? The love of Christ is infinite. But I don't think you want me to talk about it for hours, days, or weeks. So we'll be a little bit more focused A little narrow. But let's look at how he loved those disciples. He welcomed them into his fellowship without discrimination. We see amongst his followers men and women, rich and poor, fishermen and tax collectors. And we are called to love as Jesus loved. Jesus loved them by calling them to discipleship to leave everything behind and follow Him, to learn intensively from Him, to to be stretched and, and pushed way out of the comfort zone as He reshaped them and remolded them to send them out to change the world. He welcomed everyone in, but He invested His time and energy in building relationships and training those who responded to His call for discipleship, His call to follow not just with some words and some posturing, but with actual changed lives. We are to invest in people and love as Jesus loved. Jesus loved them by teaching, healing, correcting, rebuking, and restoring. Think about Peter, who is so headstrong and foolish at times in the in the Gospels and gives all of us hope and encouragement. Well, Jesus encouraged him, he praised him, he rebuked him, and he ultimately restored him. That's the powerful love of Jesus Christ, and we are to love as Jesus loved. Jesus loved his disciples through three years of walking and talking together every single day, at times when he served them, times when he fed them, times when he led them, times when he encouraged them, times when he empowered them. We are to love as Jesus loved. Jesus loved his disciples and us by sacrificing himself on the cross. Each of us has chosen to do things that we wanted to do rather than what God wanted us to do. We've each made choices at times to please and honor and gratify and glorify ourselves, often at the expense of those around us. Whether we like to admit it or not, each of us has a powerful urge within our hearts to rebel against God's absolute holiness and his his total righteousness and the standard that he's expressed in his word. And when we act on those desires, we sin. We choose to separate ourselves from the glorious and holy God of the universe, who, who, on the one hand, loves us so very much, and on the other hand, cannot abide the presence of sin. We separate ourselves, we accumulate a debt of sin that can only be paid through the precious and holy blood of the perfect and sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. And Jesus shed that blood. He paid that price willingly because of the way he loved us. To the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the sins of every single person who trusts in him as Lord and Savior are paid for, forgiven, wiped clean. It's a new day. We are a new creation if we trust in him. Our slate wiped clean by his suffering and death, by his love that's how Jesus loved the disciples. That's how he loved us. And that kind of sacrifice is what we are called to do because we are called to love as Jesus loved. A willingness to sacrifice our health, wealth, time, treasure, and even life if necessary, that's the standard of the new commandment. That's how we're to love one another. And this love is supposed to be so extraordinary that that we're famous for it, for the glory of Jesus. Right, as he continues in verse 35, by this all people, and he means non-believers in particular in this case, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Loving each other is supposed to be our signature look. Right, that's our uniform as Christians. And the point is that for everyone around us in Thousand Oaks and in River Ridge and at Rockledge and off Clipper and off Harbor and in Westminster, and really, if we're doing it well, all of eastern Prince William County would know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ by the way we love each other. And John makes it clear, this commandment is the responsibility of all of us. Philip read to you from 1 John chapter 4, and I'll turn you as well to 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. We need to remember that loving each other the way that Jesus loves us isn't just a joy, and it's a joy. It's not just a privilege, but it's a privilege. It's not just a commandment, but it is a commandment. But it is a testimony to our salvation and to Christ's enduring love for a broken, hurting, lonely world. Therefore, we will love by welcoming every newcomer into our community of faith. This is the third initiative in the vision under welcoming in. Systematically welcome and integrate every newcomer into our community of faith. If we look at Jesus in the Gospels, He welcomes in everyone who genuinely seeks Him. He has strong words for those who do not, who are there for an agenda. But if you sought Him out, if you showed up at His feet, He taught you, healed you, challenged you, and blessed you. And we are called to love like that, practically, biblically, and without discrimination. And showing this kind of love by welcoming people into our community of faith is a huge opportunity for us. Because Northern Virginia is so deeply impersonal, right? There are so many people who don't care about you in this area. We can go for years without knowing our neighbors' names. I know that's true. And we are very quick to substitute superficial relationships that are focused on, like sports and the weather and work, for real friendships, real relationships, And here we have an area full of people who are desperate for a human touch because God made us to be in relationship with other people, but our way of life in northern Virginia disrupts that. And many people sense this disruption, even people who are not believers, because we're all created in the image of God. They sense that there is something wrong. They have a longing for something that they can't necessarily even put into words. And a new commandment church can provide that human touch they yearn for. And I say this is a huge opportunity for us as a church, because in a typical church, only about one out of every eight visitors will eventually integrate into the life of that community of faith. That's probably about where we are as a congregation, about that one in eight mark. But if a church gets welcoming right if they do it well, that number can actually rise to about one out of every three. You're not going to get everybody. There's theological differences. There's style differences. That's why there are so many fine churches out there. But you can effectively triple the number of visitors who become a part of your community of faith. There are lots of aspects to this. One of peace, of course, of successful welcoming in has to do with our facilities, with the first impression that we make outside and in. Our buildings and grounds need to be be clean, pleasant, fresh, modern, and in good repair. Now, this is a a challenging piece, because if you've been in a church for a long time, you love it exactly the way it is, and you tend to be blind to its faults. The broken lock in the bathroom, etc. The little things. We get blinded to that stuff, but they exist. And so we need to be objective as a church. What is here that is welcoming in, and what things are off-putting? And we need to start working off the list. Another piece has to do with programs. Our worship, our care and teaching of our adults and youth and children needs to be be solid, biblical, and high quality. But the biggest part of welcoming in, much of the success of integrating people into our community of faith is about people. It's about what each and every one of us does every time we come here and encounter a newcomer. Are newcomers encountered enthusiastically, greeted enthusiastically by somebody who says, Welcome to church. And they really mean it. Are they frequently addressed by name during the first few weeks? There are some ridiculous and embarrassing statistics related to the retention rate if some if a newcomer is just referenced by name by one or two people in the church during their first few weeks coming. <laughs> Are they being greeted and meaningfully talked to by people surrounding them, the rows in front of them, the rows behind them, people more than just the pastor and the deacon of the week? This stuff is really easy. It's really basic, but let me be crystal clear. We have work to do as a community of faith in this area, just taking basic responsibility for this. Some of you are probably like, what are you talking about? It's really easy to pat ourselves on the back in this area and think, hey, we do great. And the reason for that is because if you have been here for a while, you're a success story. Someone greeted you. Somebody invited you to Bible study. Maybe they invited you to coffee or to go out to lunch with them. They helped integrate you in the community of faith. Those are the only ones present who can speak. We can't hear from those who are not successfully welcomed into the community. There are failures in our process. We think we do well, and in times we do, but there are failures, there are gaps. I can see them from up front, and it's painful to watch sometimes. Usually before the service, I've had a chance to at least talk to most of the newcomers, unless uh, there's some sort of either technical or, or some other deficit that gets me running late. And so I usually know where they're sitting in the congregation, and then when we have our greeting time, and I love our greeting time. It's such a great expression of our love for one another, and it's it's really heartfelt, really genuine, right? It's not just a perfunctory thing. We're all over each other, hugging and handshaking and stuff like that, which is great. But during that time, I often see those newcomers standing kind of awkwardly, going ungreeted, unacknowledged, unwelcomed. People will pass right by them to go greet their friends. In the process, they don't know what kind of friendships they're missing out on that they could form. We do best at greeting people who are either most like us or most like we want the church to look like. So we do well if you're an attractive young family. You're usually going to get a warm greeting. We do well at greeting people who are kind of similar to us demographically. So, you know, if you're of a certain demographic, you feel responsible for going and greeting those people, which is great. But as we do these things, we need to realize that other people remain standing not welcomed in well, not greeted, not invited to coffee, not invited to Bible study, not welcomed the next week by name, not integrated into the life of the community of faith. And eventually, they will move on, either keep searching for a community of faith that will welcome them in, or far more tragically, they will give up on church as a place to find that relationship they yearn for. This isn't how Christ loved others. This isn't how he welcomed them in. I want to share a piece of feedback from our table discussion about the draft vision summary. This was a very striking observation from one of our youth. Our youth are great here by the way. They really are. You should get to know them. They're really excellent. What concerns me is that we all talk about welcoming new people, but we've never really done anything before. Something must interfere with the welcoming, loving vibe, because typically when people come, they only stay for a while. I hope this plan will change that. I hope so, too. This is my prayer as well. That this initiative will not only put a fresh and welcoming face on the church and a few extra greeters at the door, but will change our culture to be one that truly welcomes all people in, regardless of race and age and family status and appearance. Where we all realize we are responsible for the rows in front of us, the rows behind us, making newcomers feel welcome, helping them find not just a seat, but a Bible study, a meal, welcoming them into our hearts going week after week as long as it takes to integrate them into the community of faith. Because that's loving like Jesus loved us. That's why in obedience to Christ's new commandment, we will love one another through fruitful relationships. This is the basis for the second welcoming in initiative. Foster fruitful relationships that care for, encourage, mentor, and disciple one another. Jesus' love was deeply relational. Over and over again, we see in the Gospels that even as he has been followed around like, by crowds, like a rock star, he comforted, encouraged, mentored, and discipled individuals. He cared for his disciples, intensively training them to do the work that would define their lives. He cared for and comforted all those who sought him out. The new commandment is calling us to love like that, deeply, personally, and in relationship with others in the community of faith. If you look at Christ's example and the teaching of Scripture, we are called to form relationships with other Christians that are deeper and stronger and more purposeful than the secular relationships that we tend to copy in church most often. We're called to form relationships deep enough to see a brother or sister in need and to do something about it, because that's what Jesus did. James two fifteen and 16 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So who here knows you well enough to know if you have a need? And will fill that need for you. Who do you know well enough to see their need? It's time to build relationships that love like Jesus loves. We're called to form relationships that encourage one another because that's what Jesus did. Ephesians 4.29 commands us, "...let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear." Who in this community builds you up? Who do you need to start building up? It's time to build relationships that love like Jesus loved. We're called to form relationships that mentor and guide us into doing the things God has prepared for us to do and to form relationships where we are mentoring and guiding people because that's what Jesus did. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 reminds us, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Who in this community do you have a relationship with that stirs you up to love and good works? Who are you stirring up? It's time to build relationships that love like Jesus loved. We're called to form relationships that disciple others and where we are being discipled because that is what Jesus did. He discipled people. 2 Timothy 2.2 gives us an example of this. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So who are you helping to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ by sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your experiences and gifts and talents? And who's helping you grow as a disciple? It is time to build relationships that love like Jesus loved. This is an initiative for everyone from our youngest youth to our most experienced seniors because we each have strengths to offer others in the body of Christ And we each have weaknesses and gaps that need to be built up. That is the purpose of the body. One purpose. We have work to do as a community of faith. Because we're not great about forming these kinds of relationships. We're not even very good about uh, explaining them and encouraging them to formed. But some of you have these relationships. And you can give wonderful testimonies about them. And we want everyone in the community of faith to experience this kind of relationship the tricky part is we can't force these relationships. We can't make people get into meaningful relationships. They have to form organically. We can't have a sign-up sheet. I'd like a meaningful relationship today. If we did that, maybe three people would sign up, and they're probably the people who are already in meaningful relationships. What we can do is foster the kind of conditions where such relationships are most likely to form through this initiative. Because realistically these relationships form when groups of people do hard things together, do hard ministry together and grow together. Christ's new commandment stands as a challenge for us. Even in the areas that we have significant strength, it's a challenge. There's a lot of work to do, but it is totally worth it because it is always worth it to do what Christ commands. There must be a community of faith that loves like Jesus. That's not an easy thing because we're each flawed and selfish at times. So do this is a work of the Holy Spirit, It is a work of God changing and transforming us. But it is nonetheless a command that is both a duty and a privilege. The way we love each other is also our most powerful testimony for reaching out into a world that is hurting, that is violent, that is hate-filled, that is cynical, that is burnt out on churches saying they love, and not living the love. So let's all pray that we become a church that lives the love of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed by the tremendous love of your Son for us. The great love that you have for us in sending him to us, sending him to teach And to suffer and to die, to bear our sins on the cross. That those who trusted him may live forever, forgiven and free. Lord, this is the kind of love that we are called to do to imitate this infinite love of Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that you would empower us and enable us to be individuals in a church that loves like Jesus loved. It's in his precious and holy name I pray. Amen.